0: If I'm feeling low confidence, I shouldn't be going and, and circling around and trying to like get the word through the grapevine. Go directly to that person and make it clear. I'm struggling to understand the status on XYZ. I Y, Z. I can't deliver if I don't have that confidence. Fill me in. And then it's that person's responsibility to assume best intent. Okay, this person's not trying to undermine me. They have a legitimate concern that I'm not communicating effectively enough. And what can I do to improve the situation? And I think that's how the dynamic has to play out. It's okay for you to feel that someone is not delivering, but you need to take that to them as opposed to, you know, assuming that they're trying to sabotage the company or something that I, I would consider more political and, you know, outside the atmosphere we're looking to build.
1: I'm Ben Grenell, part of the growing team here at Levels. We're a venture-funded startup backed by more than a thousand of our community members and some of the best VCs in the game, including Andreessen Horowitz. On this podcast, we talk about everything we do. We share the learnings about our culture and what we're building along the way. This is Inside the Company. Confidence and trust, they're very much linked. They're very much things that we've talked about in all these different cultural episodes that we continue to do and continue to explore. We're very much learning as we go and sharing a lot of these learnings along the way. You can have confidence in a company, you can have trust in a company. You can have both, you can have neither. Well, the same goes in a professional setting. The same goes in a personal setting as far as a relationship goes. What's the difference between confidence and trust? This might sound semantic, but there are a lot of nuanced differences when you start to really break them down. And so when we think about things like positive intent, You can have the idea we all want to assume positive intent, but often you get, especially in startups, you get a lot of scar tissue from past organizations or even with relationships. You might have scar tissue as far as friends, family members, loved ones, anyone that you've got this scar tissue that piles up over time on top of each other. And so when it comes down to trust, you've got this idea of positive intent. People can be top performers, they can be culturally aligned and they can still not always assume positive intent, even when they say or they want to. Sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's subconscious. It's very much a skill in a mindset that we all work on throughout our lives, whether it's personal or in professional life. But when it comes to confidence, what is the difference here? Confidence is earned very much based on performance. Somebody could be a top performer. We could have trust that they can do the job, but we're not confident that they're going to follow through. And this sometimes comes down to this idea of a failure to communicate. And this failure to communicate is very much a failure to perform and to build trust in others that you're going to be able to actually deliver the work. This is where confidence comes in. It's the failure to communicate that erodes this confidence and eventually trust over time. And so confidence, trust, they're inextricably linked in the way that we think about them and talk about them. And so Josh Clemente and Sam Corcos, two of the co-founders of levels sat down and talked about this idea of trust and confidence. Essentially, confidence and trust, they're both earned over time. No need to wait. Here's where they kick things off.
2: I've talked to a couple of people on the team, and this is not a universal gap, but there's definitely some hesitance or misunderstanding about how some of our cultural principles overlap with each other or potentially conflict. And one of our core values is assume positive intent, which means when you when you read something that somebody says. Assume that they're not trying to cheat you or undermine you or do anything sneaky. Assume that they just mean the thing that they say. And um, Haney, I think, put it really well. He said that it took, I think, six plus months before he was able to get to the point where he could just take us at our word. Like, this is how we run the company. And just act as if that were true, even if sometimes you have doubts. But act as if it were true and assume positive intent. Casey's also talked a lot about this as well. Of Even if you think there is a negative tone in a message that you get, just act as though there isn't. And it turns out most of the time there actually isn't. So assuming that positive intent is really important. Um, do you have anything you want
0: to add to that? The complex thing is mostly scar tissue and baggage that people build up over over years and years, where they assume that values, statements are platitudes. And um, yeah, so unfortunately, I think it kind of points to the toxicity of many cultures where, you know, subcultures, let's say, inside companies, inside other systems, where no one is assuming positive intent, and there is a lot of rampant politicism, and people are out to get each other in a, in a real meaningful way. And so being an outlier of a, of a culture is, you know, we're, we're working upstream against that assumption. And I think the the tool there is a- absolutely correct in that, generally speaking, people just need to, it's maybe even beyond assume positive intent. It should maybe even be assigned positive intent. So whatever the statement is, just a, just, it is positive intent. So just assign positive intent to it, even if you're wrong, even if it's not. They just do it anyway.
2: Yeah, it reminds me somebody that I was talking to where we had to really go deeper into this terminology. Because I I mentioned that this is a cultural value that this person needed to work on. And they responded with, I, I already assume positive intent. I know that everyone here wants what's best for the company. But that feels more like the surface level understanding of it. This person still when they would see a communication from somebody still had a hard time. Like, oh, they're just being performative with this communication, or they're, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to like undermine my project or this or that, but sure they want what's best for the company. But in this particular case, they had a really hard time. Somebody asking a question and from my perspective, as an outside observer, they just had a legitimate question and they didn't know the answer. But this person was reading subtext into what they were writing when none existed. And so I don't know uh, whether it's just something we have to continue to reinforce and practice because it, it, is, it is a learned skill. People will have to learn to assume positive intent. It's not something that uh, certainly, especially from people with scar tissue, of having worked at organizations where you could not assume positive intent because people really were being sneaky and out to get each other. It's it's hard to it's hard to to break that pattern. It's interesting because those anecdotes are are typically where the, the cracks show
0: is the general consensus might be, oh yeah, yeah, no, I assume positive intent and, and everyone here does. But in this case, this person was clearly not acting in good faith. And as you can see, the shortness of the statement or, you know, it's it's always sort of it's almost nature to um to maybe read into subtext, it, it may it may not be nature for people to to try to continuously assign best intent to people that they may not actually be socially close to, um, especially when you're new into an organization and uh, there's there's a context that you you don't yet have. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a matter of reinforcement and demonstration, just continuous demonstration, and um, maybe even providing. Like a peer system or a, a sort of a judgment-free zone where you can reach out to somebody or s- some uh, group of people who really do a great job with this value, and just say, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling with this specific case," or "I don't think this person is acting uh, with best intent," and the other individual can just sh- show them how to navigate that situation. How would I respond? You know, if I received that same communication. Or how might you be um, the, the first person? It's, there's there's another thing that I, I really like, and I don't remember where I heard it, but um, it's just, the, the phrase is just be the first. That, that's it. It's just be the first. And it, it kind of applies to any value where don't wait for the other person in a dynamic to act according to this value. Just you step up and be the first person to do so. And that, that could be washing the dishes at home. It could be uh, assuming best intent or acting, assigning best intent. The point is just uh, be, be the representation that you're hoping to see out there. And so I think that applies here is like, even when you can be very confident, even if it's blatant and explicit, um, you know, there are people in our culture, I think, in our company today who are still able to, to just assume the best and work with it and, and turn that scenario around. And so maybe like having an opportunity for people who are struggling with this and with any other value that we have at the company. Have like a direct route. Hey, if you're if you're struggling with this value, a great person to talk to is you know Ben or or whoever the person might be who who could offer like a coached uh, scenario.
2: Yeah, and it's it's another interesting thing because I've noticed this having had a lot of conversations with people on our leadership team. It's funny how it's easy to assume positive intent with people who you like who are performing really well. <laughs> And where a lot of people, even some of the most, the highest performing people who are the most culturally aligned in so many ways, still struggle with this when it comes to somebody who's not performing or not communicating well, or there's some gap. Uh, that's, that's where the assumed positive intent starts to get really hard. And it's where resentment start to build up. Uh, and I would say it also is where it starts to overlap with this idea of confidence is earned and how... How those two can sometimes feel like they're in conflict. Yeah, that's definitely true. It probably applies to, well,
0: it certainly ex- explicitly with this value of assuming best intent. It becomes very difficult when you're feeling at odds with someone's output or with someone's personality. Um, it's likely that you know. I, I personally think that that the personality component is actually the main driver of this of this difficulty it's when people have different approaches to communication style. It it really just personal style, extroversion versus introversion, people who are sort of type A and fact finders versus those who are a little bit more laissez faire about, about things. That's where the the cracks start to show and people start to be like, well, you know, why are you invading my space with, with, with this sort of, um, you know, whatever it might be communication style. And, yeah, so that's that's the difficulty is just recognizing that each of us has our own unique style. Where everyone is going to have their different flair, um, and the kind of like with our tolerance value, where you know we don't just tolerate the popular perspective. We we tolerate even the outgroup, even even those who it's not popular to tolerate, so to speak. That kind of philosophy here, I think, is really important. Where um, it's actually. Almost only important to assume best intent with people you don't like personally or don't get along with rights. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not work elsewhere. It's, uh, it's just naturally going to flow among the people that you, you get along with best. Yeah. I mean, I assume best intent and, and confidence is earned are interesting because they're complementary, but also can be at odds in certain situations where it can feel like I have low confidence. How can I possibly
2: assume best intent in this situation? Yeah, I think they can feel at odds, but I I really don't think that they are because in my mind, confidence is earned is really much more about performance, and it's it's a tricky one that I know it's reasonable for people to feel uncomfortable with this because we've all we've all worked with people who are uh, I was talking with somebody recently uh, who said that uh, he said that there are people who are really good at doing the work, and they're not always the same people as those who are good at telling stories about the work. And some people are just really good at telling stories yeah. <laughs> and don't actually deliver any work. <laughs> and I, we, I'm sure we've all worked with those people where you're like, how how is it that the management team likes this person? Their work quality is trash. Mm -hmm. but they keep getting promoted and they keep getting the big projects. And when things go wrong, somehow they're able to deflect blame onto other people. Um, Having said that, the people who do really good work but don't communicate it are also failing because they haven't built the confidence in the people that they work with. And so you have to earn that compliment. It feels like a lazy thing to say that there is a balance, but it really is true. If, if you cannot communicate the work that you're doing to build the confidence in the people that you work with, that is part of the job. An absence of communication is a lack of performance.
0: Well, given the roots of the company in asynchronous, not just remote, but asynchronous and memos over meetings philosophy documentation is a core performance criteria. So, I think we at some point assigned a, an amount of time that should be spent documenting one's work and then it was like 25%, we said something around there. And that is that documentation process is not just, you know, writing down reams of text in order to check a box. It's it actually means communication of the work that you've done, right? And and so that is already explicitly built in. It's like the documentation and communication of it is a requirement for you to be able to survive and thrive in a remote async environment that like the one that we're building. So I think that's a- absolutely the case where um you know it's it's not just a, a it's not an ancillary thing or a supplemental overhead. It's part of the job is documentation and communication. And the confidence is secondary to it. So I think the difficult part is in many cases, people feel that they're doing the work, documenting the work and still getting questioned on it. And that questioning is, that's often the situation where I, the person doing the work struggle to assign best intent to the person who is, who has low confidence in me, who is coming to, to try to understand, Hey, what's going on with this project? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling low confidence right now. And so I then think, well, this person's like they're out to get me. They're trying to expose me. Um, similarly, the person who has low confidence is struggling to assume best intent because they can't see what's going on behind the curtain. Right? Is this person working? Are they? Am I getting totally? You know, it's a hospital pass where I'm going to end up with, uh, you know, my project being undeliverable. Un- so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a tangled mess. But it, what it comes down to is each person taking personal responsibility for the situation. It's it is you know again be the first. It's your responsibility as the individual doing the work to communicate it. You made a really good point, which was um, in in a recent memo, which which was that it it kind of related to distribution versus value, or or maybe like no no it was recognition versus value, right? So value that is that is not uh, recognized is not valued, and the similarly work output that is not communicated is not work output in some in some sense
2: yeah it definitely becomes a, a deeper epistemological question <laughs> if, a, if a tree falls in the forest i i think a, a fairer statement is that uh assume positive intent does not mean assume performance and i think maybe that's where some of the misunderstanding is it's reasonable to expect a certain degree of communication to build confidence that one is performing. And I think to your point, when there's low confidence, it's harder to assume positive intent, but that that is probably something that we need to figure out how to better message and communicate. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think there's something more to that as a, as a category of, uh, of thought that we need to uh, articulate.
1: One of the many things that we do with Levels is create content about metabolic health. The main thing that we do is we have an app. The Levels app pairs with a continuous glucose monitor so you can track your glucose in real time. More than 40,000 people have used Levels to lose weight, gain energy, and increase longevity. You can see how things like food, sleep, exercise, stress, and environmental factors affect your metabolic health. And Levels is backed by some of the best thought leaders in the world, including Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Robert Lustig, and Dr. Mark Hyman, amongst others. To learn more about Levels and track your blood sugar in real time, join Levels at levels.link company.
0: You know, I think with the confidence is earned concept, we allow for, a, you know, or we want to make sure that people understand that you can't expect that others are going to have high confidence in you. That's something that is built up over time through repetition and demonstrated success. Um, the, the flip side of that means that, you know, in fact, it kind of indicates that it should be expected that there will be times when confidence will be low, maybe even by default, and you have to build that over time. So when you come into the environment, people are gonna assume best intent, they're gonna assume you're here to, to do your best work. and yet you still have to go you know kind of above and beyond relative to other work cultures to communicate your work and make sure everyone's on the same page to build that confidence so yeah it's not there should be no expectation that everyone's confidence is going to be high at all times in in the work that you're doing and that's okay that's a personal r- responsibility to to continuously dis- determine how you can do better how you can better communicate your work and how you can build confidence in others and and similarly, you know, performance. We're, we're a team, not a family. Is another, uh, you know, important value here. And so that means that we're a team of high performers. And if someone isn't performing, we can't just you know bury our heads in the sand and and oh well, we're assuming best intent. They're, they they'd like to be a high performer, and and thus they are a high performer. That's that's not how we operate. So you know, there's there's room here to both interact with our colleagues with good faith. And assume that what they're trying to achieve is the same thing you're trying to achieve. But you can also have low confidence that the output is there. And it's your responsibility to make that clear to them, I think, is, is really what it comes down to. If, if I'm feeling low confidence, I shouldn't be going and, and circling around and trying to like get get the word to the grapevine. Go directly to that person and, and make it clear. I'm struggling to understand the status on XYZ. I can't deliver if I don't have that confidence. And... um, fill me in. And then it's that person's responsibility to assume best intent. Okay, this person's not trying to undermine me. They, they have a legitimate concern that that I'm not communicating effectively enough. And what can I do to improve the situation? And I think that's how the dynamic has to play out. It's okay for you to assume that someone is is not delivering. Sorry. It's okay for you to feel that someone is not delivering, but you need to take that to them as opposed to uh, you know assuming that they're trying... Trying to sabotage the company or something that I, I would consider more political and and uh, you know
2: outside the atmosphere we're looking to to build, yeah, I uh, this is something that it took me many, many years to get good at this of recognizing when feelings and resentments start to manifest, and just very quickly having an open conversation with the person who is the on the receiving end of that, whether to realize it or not. And just saying like you and I have had some of these kinds of conversations in the past of like something is off. I don't know exactly what it is, but like when I when I get emails from you, like all of the energy of my body just drains. It's like, oh man, another one of these. I don't even know what it is, but I just don't want to open it. And Neither of us want to work in that kind of environment, so let's just let's try to figure out what's going on here and how we can fix that problem. And I think that's I don't know if that's the same thing as assuming positive intent or confidence is earned, but it feels it feels like it's certainly within that domain. I think it takes a lot of character for
0: someone to address difficult situations generally, no matter no matter what the situation is it, it's it takes Practice to get comfortable doing so, and when you're feeling low confidence in someone, it, it is difficult. I think to raise that directly to them, it's a lot easier to talk about it and, and see if other people are feeling similarly. And that turns into a, a sort of gossip scenario where, oh yeah, there's a lot of people that feel the same way. That validates me. I don't need to talk to that person. They're clearly a low performer. They're they're here to just skate skate by. You know, it starts to starts to develop that sort of ambiance, and and it's less likely that you're going to have that. Direct conversation with them—it's um, exactly the opposite of how we want this to to go, which is that you have point-to-point communication with people, and difficult conversations are part of it. You know, it, it, and in fact, it may actually be if everyone's assuming best intent, it makes difficult conversations that much easier. You know, if if I can go to you and say, Sam, look, I'm feeling something's off here, and um, you know, I'm feeling like we're talking past each other, or I, I don't know if you intended this, but you made this statement that made me feel like what I'm working on is it is is completely useless to the company. Can you let's let's work through this, let's jump on a call and, and work through it. And if I know that you're not going to hang up on me, yell at me, you know, chastise me for for raising it because you're going to assume best intent in me coming to you, then we're both better off. And, and I think this is again, a lot of this is having the repetitions, experiencing this. And as with most things, The minute the opposite of this scenario plays out, a person who's new to the culture confides in someone else that they have low confidence and they need, they're trying to figure out what's going on and they get chastised or they get, you know, shut down or someone else is looped into the conversation to like, you know, pile on that's an irreversible. It's it's like pretty hard to reverse that damage. So it's on every single person at this company. I mean, leadership has to demonstrate it first and foremost, but every person has to really be acting in this way. Because every example that is a counterpoint, you know, it just drives home that not only do the company culture values not matter, but I can't assume best intent at this company, which, you know, we know how that
2: plays out. Yeah, for sure. It's bringing back to a podcast from years ago with Mark Randolph. People notice what you tolerate, and if you if you allow for that to start to uh, metastasize, is probably a good word for it. Uh, It happens very quickly, and once you break that level of trust, people start to question really all of your other values. If if you don't take this one seriously, which ones do we take seriously? And the answer is if you don't take any if you don't take one of them seriously you probably don't take any of them seriously so you have to be really really mindful of picking values that you can really stick to that you believe but uh it requires constant vigilance to uh to keep that alive yeah it's, it's interesting this this is one of the you know the
0: the assumption of good intent in other people that you're you're working on the same mission with is Pretty foundational, I think, to almost every other value that we've got. Um, You know, if if let's just assume that that value goes away, and in fact, people may or may not assume good intent in each other at the company. You know, how can you disagree and commit with someone? How how can you have short toes when someone else is is contributing in your you know in your area, so to speak? Uh, I think it becomes it it kind of devolves so rapidly that it's almost hard to it's hard to imagine a more important, um, principle for, for everyone to be demonstrating and to really, you know, reinforce it's almost like this is the prayer that we need to repeat most, most consistently. And, um, yeah, you know, I I think the confidence is earned thing is people are, it's just naming a a reality. Like you're going to feel low confidence at times in, in in the company. and. that's you know, just like the ebbs and flows of work cycles and, and, uh, you know, I think team dynamics. But to assume best intent in other people is, it has to be an ever present component of interactions, especially, I mean, most importantly, asynchronous, because, or sorry, remote, uh, more so than asynchronous. But, um, you know, when you don't have those opportunities to, to just hang out at a lunch table and, and talk with someone and get to know their life a little more. It becomes a lot easier to default to assuming bad faith because uh, those social connections aren't being built up consistently.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of workplace complex or even non-workplace like spousal complex, are often they often stem from assumptions that are made that are not correct. I wonder if it's helpful. To go through some specific scenarios, like if if let's say let's just let's say let's take you and I as maybe a case study as a, a hypothetical where maybe I am I'm feeling low confidence because I don't have visibility into what you're working on, and I would ask, Josh, I need I need us to get back to daily async standups. I need daily communication. To rebuild my confidence in, uh, in this business unit. Um, I can imagine how that might feel in a negative way, of if somebody feels like maybe there's they're reading into some subtext of like, I bet, I bet he thinks I'm not actually working hard, or I bet he thinks that I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, as opposed to. Just taking me at my word, which is like, I just don't have any visibility and I need more visibility to feel confident. So I don't know how we can do a better job of, of making these. We've done some in terms of setting expectations of what it's reasonable to ask for certain forms of communication. But it's uh, especially given how different it is than most people's work styles from the past because we're remote and the communication burden is higher, um, what What can we do to allow for that in a way that doesn't create conflict? The way you framed it right there, it's helpful for
0: everyone to think ahead in terms of how the messaging is going to be interpreted um, and add as add a bit more context if you can. So I think hearing I have low confidence in this business unit versus hearing I'm, I need more visibility to build my confidence up in this business unit. It's kind of the same thing, but the, the, the little addendum there of, I don't have visibility and thus I, I am experiencing some concern about this business unit. It, it feels just that little added element, I think feels tractable. Um, it's like oh okay this is a visibility thing and i can i can work towards improving visibility and thus that will improve confidence whereas just saying i'm feeling low confidence we need to get back to daily syncs it feels a little bit more maybe a little more looking over the shoulder like micromanagey and you know so it, although the outcome is the same it's just naming exactly what you diagnose as the problem that is leading to the low confidence it's different than for example you know if if you say, I, "I have low confidence in this business unit," one might interpret that as, well, they know everything that's going on, and they just don't think that this business unit should exist or they disagree entirely with our targets and and our strategy. And this is frustrating because, like I feel as though I've been communicating all of that. And doing all this hard work. And now I'm just being questioned at the at the foundational level. It's um, you know, I'm not sure if that's coming across, but just the two scenarios, just simply adding that it's a visibility issue helps to diagnose the problem so that we can, you know, just quickly get back on track. So that scenario should should happen when it needs to happen. But for the individual who's experiencing low confidence, it's helpful to try to be as specific as possible about where the issue seems to be arising from. For you
2: yeah i wonder this is a bit of a tangent but what is in your mind the difference between management and micromanagement because people seem to always jump from zero to micromanagement pretty instantaneously and uh i struggle like giving people guidance on direction is is often even perceived as micromanagement. and so i don't I don't have a really good conceptual framework for it because it seems like I, I've never heard anyone use the word management. They either go from complete autonomy to micromanagement. It's a really tough thing to describe concisely, but
0: what I think it comes down to is prescriptive versus collaborative management, maybe. for most people who are fairly, entrepreneurially minded and, and want to work in a startup environment, they're looking for maximum latitude and responsibility to make decisions um, toward, toward the goals. And when there's an individual with, you know, s- somewhere above them in the hierarchy, who is m- s- specifying how to do work, that is for sure micromanagement. It's, it's, you no longer, ha- it's basically confining your domain of of responsibility to just execution. You, you know, you've become kind of a mechanical Turk more so than, um, you know, a, a, a fully autonomous piece, uh, part of the team. So I, I think that's that's one case. And then the visibility thing is, is where it gets much more complicated because clearly simply asking for daily updates is not micromanagement because if you're not prescribing what those daily updates should contain then you aren't actually controlling this person's actions but if your objective with the daily sync is to is to realign to to stay very closely aware of what's happening because it's really important work and small deviations lead to very large you know consequential differences in in outcome for the company that can feel you know i think there's a there's a way for this to feel empowering for the individual it's like my work is super important it's so important that I need to keep the, the the leadership team apprised of it on a twenty four hour basis. It really comes down to the messaging and what that personal relationship is between the manager and the the report. Because yeah, it's it, it's it's the same scenario. It can like like I said, feel both empowering or feel like someone's pulling the strings and I have no control over the, the decisions I make. So um, yeah, I guess what it what it comes down to is like it's much more about explaining what you need to be able to succeed as the manager. Like I, this, this is the, the why of the situation is is actually what this, what I think this conversation is about. I need more visibility so that X, so that I can do whatever it is that you need to do. If it's, if it's, I need to know with a high degree of, of resolution, what's happening in this business unit so that I can, Communicate that to our our investors and close the next round, or um, so that I can, you know, and you know, it, it check in on whether or not our growth targets are correct, so that I can make adjustments across our headcount. You know, these these sorts of things. I think the the why is really what sep- separates a micromanager, a person who just you know, independent of context, wants to pull the strings for the direct reports, versus someone who is collaborating with their people and and really trusts them to make good decisions, but. You know, trust does not mean trust and ignore. It's, it's you know, an active manager can be the most powerful tool that a, that a person has. Someone who cares about them, makes sure they have the right resources, doesn't set them out to dry, you know, gives them continuous feedback. That can happen on a daily basis. It really comes down to the why and whether the person understands it.
2: That's funny. I took a bunch of notes from what you were saying. We're going to have to dig into this more. <laughs> so. You mentioned um if you prescribe, talking about like daily daily async stand-ups, if you prescribe what they contain, that's micromanagement. But unless you want to caveat that. Let me caveat that. So I think
0: what I mean is like tomorrow your update should include completion of this thing. You have uh, you know sent an email containing these words, you have you know, XYZ. So you're prescribing the person's actions now prescribing the content of uh, communication like i need to i'd like to like to see you know these sorts of updates daily over the next few weeks so that i can have the the right type of visibility but you're not you're not prescribing their actions you know, in, in their workday i think yeah.
2: i don't know if that clarifies well like i'll give you an example when i work closely with an engineer i i like to specifically request a certain type of communication which is I want to know what project was worked on. I want to see the interface as I want to see a walkthrough of it. And I want a walkthrough of the code like it would be on a pull request because that allows me visibility into it and the context that they can give. And that's being very prescriptive on how it's communicated because that's what I need uh, in order to feel like I understand what's going on. Um, I was talking with, teddy this morning one of our investors and he uh he talked about uh the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule uh the golden rule do unto others as you would like them to do onto you. the platinum rule do to others as they want you to do unto them <laughs> so like it's not about it's not about uh what, I, what communication patterns I like, it's about what communication patterns they like, and I have to match that. Um, and it's just reframing it in that way, which is like, maybe I don't want people to send me daily communication, but it turns out the person I'm working with, they do want that, and that helps them work most effectively. We're, we're
0: saying the same thing, because the types of visibility that you need to, to build confidence you know that that's that's a an important thing to communicate to to a direct report so that you can so that they can build that confidence it's giving them the right tools describing the tool they need to to close the gap but there's a difference between you know sort of requesting that specific type of communication versus describing specifically how to solve a problem with code like use you know essentially prescribing to them how to do the work and then follow up with me and confirm that you did it exactly this way and give me proof by walking me through the code. That's a situation where the person is literally just your keyboard um, or they're your translator into the keyboard. So, and again, it's in certain circumstances, this can be highly collaborative. It's, hey, we have this this problem. Let's talk through ways to solve it. Let's try this thing, see if that works. Th- that can feel, it can it can, again, be collaborative or it can be prescriptive where you are, you know, for people who want to be, problem solvers right they want to have the latitude to to make decisions and think outside the box frequently it is beneficial to them and to the manager to not have to both be solving the same problem at the same time right it's it's it would be a better situation for you to not need to think through how to you know what what code to write to solve a certain problem when working with an engineer to instead just trust them to be able to solve the problem and to give you the update that gives you the visibility you need to know it was solved.
2: Yeah, and maybe maybe this is me outing myself as a micromanager then, but I certainly don't think that I am because it is my, my preferred operating style is having the right people in the roles and then not paying attention to it at all and moving on to the
0: next big problem. But I think that's explicitly not micromanagement though, right? That's, that's a successful manager report dynamic where you, you trust them. You're not prescribing their actions to them. You, you've said, this is the problem we need to solve. You're the right person for the job. Keep me updated on how it's going and ask me if you need resources. And I'm not going to think about it unless you ask me to. That's, that's precisely, I think, the opposite of micromanagement versus saying, okay, look, this is your task. Do, do these three things tomorrow and update me. And then the next day, prescribing again what they should do. It's taking away the entire domain of potential paths that this person can explore. And um, it is certainly not an effective way to manage, to, to control someone's actions, and and require that they follow them explicitly. Otherwise, you know, you call them out for insubordination or something. This is the type of toxic manager-report relationship that is is frequently you know called micromanagement, man, management. But I think it's just bad management. It's not being able to trust someone. Now, we've kind of drawn the the difference between trust and confidence a couple times. Um, in the scenario where you have that very effective manager report relationship where you you go hands off and you trust them to to make the decisions, you can still experience low confidence. Like, hey, I haven't heard an update on this. And it's at the point where it's it's really consequential to our upcoming raise or what, whatever it is, milestone. Can you can we increase visibility? Let's go to daily communications just so I can like get back on track, become fully aligned, and then we can, you know, we can change the cadence when necessary. That's a very high that's it's it's grounded in trust because you're not you're not pulling the rug out from under them, you're not controlling them, but you are simply asking them to focus on building back your confidence through visibility. And I, I don't, again, I don't consider this micromanagement. The difference is the why. Your goal is to get the visibility while maintaining that that individual's full autonomy. It's not to take away their their ability to make decisions.
2: Yeah, and some of it is is even Simpler than that. And maybe this comes back to stating the intent. Like when when Moz took over the product function, I asked for daily communication asynchronously. And specifically, it was to manage my anxiety (laughs) so that I'm not constantly thinking about it in the back of my mind and constantly worried about it. And Mm -hmm. that can feel kind of silly, but it matters that I don't feel anxious about it. And that's just a reality. One of your responsibilities is to ensure that
0: product is on track, and you know the, the, a lot of times again, this is where, where assuming best intent comes in on say Maz's part in this case, but in general, for anyone who has a consequential position at a company, you know think about it through the lens of the other person. If you're trying to assume best intent, put yourself in Sam's position and take on, on full accountability for the direction the product goes at at the Ultimate existential company level. How can Sam do that without visibility into what's happening on product, especially when there's been a recent change in in product leadership? You know, I think it's kind of built into it should be an expectation of that person that the first thing I have to do is communicate how I'm going to change things and what I'm doing on a daily basis to adjust course for product. You know, so so that's part of assuming best intent is looking at it from the other person's lens and it's often pretty easy to do. You know, it's often pretty straightforward. You and I, again, had had some history with this sort of thing where what was ultimately the breakthrough was just my realization that you were operating in an information vacuum, even though I was doing what I felt to be like many times, uh, you know, a normal, typical workload at the time. It was not being communicated effectively. So that value was un... (laughs) It it was unreceived or perceived. And um, yeah, so I, I think... That's certainly not micromanagement. It's simply slated as your responsibility to understand what's happening in product and to make sure that you have close communication with the person leading it. So of course, it needs to be corrected. You can do so. And there's not like... it's. I mean, it's what we're building on, tight feedback loops. This is what Levels exist to do. And it's much more effective to do that 10 minutes from the time an action was taken rather than 10 months.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely ties into confidence is earned in many ways. Um let me give you another hypothetical. So there was a situation not that long ago when we we really needed a strategy document in a particular org. And it, it was overdue. And this person felt like they were totally on water with all kinds of projects. And I I said, I need you to cancel all of your one-on-ones next week. I need you to tell all of these people that all of these things that you've promised that you're gonna deliver, that that's gonna be put on hold for a couple of weeks until we update the strategy, because that's the most important thing. I am literally prescribing their actions. I'm saying cancel your meetings next week, stop working on these things and write this document. Is that, like what is the boundary for something like that between management and micromanagement? That to me is very clear prioritization and priority setting is one of the major responsibilities
0: of a manager. If someone doesn't know their priorities, then everything becomes a possible useful task, like literally everything. And you start having rabbit holes that open up and people um you know really just end up wandering aimlessly. And when you have super clear priorities to the extent that this is a higher priority than having one-on-ones with your team, you're not saying again, you're not doing their job for them. You're simply saying this is the ultimate and in and, and single priority today. To the extent that you should remove every other priority on your plate, because you won't otherwise have the capacity to get it done. And um, that can happen at the individual level. It can happen at the team level. It can it can go to the cross functional level where uh, you know someone ha- has to say, look, this this priority change is happening. We're actually going to drop all priorities for an entire function and move those resources onto this other function so that we can get this across the finish line because it's that important to x objective whatever that might be and knowing the why people don't take that that's not micromanagement that's that's effective and and hopefully like we have few of these scenarios where there's an emergency reprioritization Um, ideally we can we can be far enough ahead that people don't have to cancel all their one-on-ones but the point is when that happens very clear priority uh, communication is is a core requirement for a manager to be, to to have successful, I think, work with, with their direct reports. So again, I don't think that's micromanagement. It's, and, and a lot of this, you know, again, as you're, as we know, is, is really soft and, and sort of situation specific. People will, will call many things micromanagement, but I think in the times that I've experienced it personally, it's someone who has, who is not assuming best intent in their direct reports. And the why of their requests for communication are that they, they're they going to use that to prove that they're not at fault because they can't trust anyone around them. And they're playing essentially a, a politics game where they want to control everybody as opposed to trusting them to be autonomous individuals and, and kind of giving them the latitude to make decisions. And again, prioritization doesn't factor in here. You can have a single priority or you can have 10 priorities. As long as your manager is giving you that that clearly, like, and you're able to make the decisions to execute on it. That's a that's a functional relationship.
2: Interesting. Yeah, there's there's definitely something in here about trust and confidence as it relates to micromanagement. management. Um, we're we're fortunate. One of the high in our recent culture survey that we did with the team, um, one of the questions was something along the lines of, "Do you feel?" that you have autonomy and trust. And that was one of the highest scoring items in the entire survey. So people really do feel like they are trusted and have a lot of autonomy in decision-making. So we're probably nitpicking internally of like, what is micromanagement or not, given that almost nobody feels like they are micromanaged, but it is, it is uh, useful to think about when it comes to, say a change in leadership or a change in strategy where um, there have definitely been times when people on our team have written a strategy document that I disagreed with and made some pretty substantive changes to it. And um, I can imagine how that might feel like micromanagement when somebody writes a document that says, I think our strategy for function X should be this. And I say, I hear that, but we're actually going to do Y for these reasons. And this then bumps into disagree and commit. Where am I saying that I don't trust this person? Is it a lack of confidence? What is the because sometimes that person just doesn't have the context that other people have. Like, I am my, my job is to be like the ultimate context machine. I know everything that is cross functional. That's so why we were talking recently about these lead calls that we do, how they're, they're not super useful for me because I already know what every org is doing. And so uh, it might be useful cross-functionally, but I'm, I'm already cross-functional. So uh, figuring out when does that intervention and strategy, when does that qualify as micromanagement? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we can probably
0: assign most of the, the pathological micromanagement to kind of two maybe maybe two core elements, one of them being deliberately blocking context. So a micromanager doesn't go to the extent needed to explain to the to the direct report the why of, of what they're asking for. Um, that's that's key. It's just feeling like you're being communicated in a one way manner. This is what you have to do. You have no choice in the matter. Go execute if you don't. You know, you're not going to have a job, that sort of thing. And um, don't deviate from my directions at all. This is, you know, I'm the one with the context. You're just the executor. That's one major thing. And then that kind of leads to a, a, you know, a bi-directional assuming that we're you know not not being able to assume best intents. like this person does not care about giving me autonomy and responsibility. So anyway, that's just a broken scenario. And I think everyone kind of rolls that into micromanagement as a term. But it's kind of a misnomer in some ways, or it's maybe unfairly characterized as as purely bad. There's something really useful in a manager being able to flex their, or maybe like zoom in as needed. And it's super useful. Nobody wants a manager who's totally aloof and Again, doesn't give them priority, doesn't give them context. And when you're struggling, when when say one of a manager's direct reports is like specifically struggling for whatever reason, that manager should be able to zoom in and, and work very tightly with that, that individual or with that group to get it back on track. And, and that's a very effective and collaborative scenario. And that might be called micromanagement. Like, for example, Elon just took over Twitter. And from what what it sounds like, he is in a room with each manager, working very directly with them to understand what's happening and redirect or reprioritize. You know that is micromanagement for sure, but it's high bandwidth communication. And as long as it stays collaborative and the the assumption is best intent, I'm not sure that that's what's happening at Twitter. But point being, like if if that is what's happening, it's a version of micromanagement that's very useful. I think for both parties, it's it's very quickly getting alignment and. To the point that it is helpful to to both parties is a tool. So I guess you know I, I started off by pulling out the micromanagement label. There, there is like one of the again. I I, I just want to kind of tie this up by saying there is an important function of a manager being able to balance their own Zoom window. When do you, when you need to. Step in and take a closer look and get into the details of someone is is really a responsibility of a manager. and it's it, and I think the way that it's communicated, the why, the context, is what will communicate that to the direct report in a in a way that either feels prescriptive and micromanagery or will feel collaborative and supportive,
2: yeah, it's funny you say that. There's a lot on to reflect on there. I was talking to a tech founder recently who uh, had this quote written in my notebook. Uh, He said, Fight until your dying breath, the formation of information fiefdoms. (laughs) We're lucky in that we have some specific cultural values around treat people like adults. And we say explicitly in much of our documentation it is reasonable for an adult to want to know why a decision was made. And if you infantilize people and you don't treat them, like they can make decisions. That it as we're talking about this, it makes me think that micromanagement is the in many ways it's the feeling of infantilization. It's when you micromanagement is what how people feel when you don't treat people like adults. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I think so. Yep. Interesting. It's uh
0: it's returning to sort of a parent teenager dynamic <laughs> or uh, you know, it- an individual where it's yeah, I think I think actually that, that paternalistic element is is at is at work where you know because I said so is the answer um, why do why are we doing this why are you asking for X Y or Z because I said so you know, that that doesn't satisfy the innate first of all it it doesn't recognize the capability or capacity of that individual and secondly it, it doesn't um, I I don't think it's a an effective use of either person's resources. You you now have to think for that person, right? So the, the the micromanager in this case is is taking on the burden of operating for that individual and for themselves. So it's just everyone knows it's inefficient, it's it and it, it is not treating that individual like an adult. Now if someone is really not performing and that yeah you know, there is a tool, a performance improvement plan that is micromanagement explicitly it 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 essentially reprioritizes that person onto a single set of objectives and metrics and if they if they don't effectively execute there then you know that's where things a, a final decision is made essentially and you know again we we kind of use that that is the the final straw in some sense it's it's the very last stages of employment you should never be operating in a performance improvement plan like environment all the time right i mean that's that is clearly a a tool used for a specific circumstance when performance has been lagging and is is like clearly needs to get back on course or where um, that person needs to leave. So you know, I think that that kind of says it all. It's it's that if if you are writing performance improvement plans with a different name every day for all your direct reports, it's probably not a very effective use of your time or them, and I, it, it's unlikely that they're going to stay satisfied for a long time. And it, it's more about stepping back giving them the why and the context and um, making sure they're resourced effectively. So, you know, I, I guess we kind of went into a versus <laughs> micromanagement rabbit hole here, but I think it, you know, all of it is wrapped up in that assumption of best intent on, on the direct reports part, looking at the manager right. and building confidence and, and communicating your confidence level from the man- manager to the direct report.
2: Yeah. And to, to tie together, It is important to assume best intent. The nice thing about companies as opposed to governments is that you can choose who joins. And so you can choose to only have people who operate in good faith. Now, as we scale, we might have to make fewer assumptions about it, but uh, we have a lot more control over the people that we add, and we can can make sure that we add people for whom we can assume positive intent.
0: One of the major... One of the major pieces that that I would take away from this conversation is just the difference between an assumption of best intent or, you know, kind of the baseline interaction that you're going to take into the into the workplace versus confidence. These are, you know, these are not the same thing. And we all should be expected, we we all are expected to assume the best in a person's intentions and to help them convey their actions so that they're building confidence. And, you know, again, we're in nuanced territory here, but I think we can all understand the difference between deliberately interpreting someone's action or communication negatively versus in the light of, this is a, a teammate, we're working on the same goal, that person came here to work on the same mission beside me. It is unlikely that they're going to be trying to sabotage me. So I'm going to just assume that this is best intent.